Welcome, ladies and gents, to the Grim and Bloody Podcast. This show is a presentation of horror, thriller, and suspense, and is intended for mature audience. Join us at your own risk. Welcome to the Grim and Bloody Podcast. I'm uh, Kevin Nicholson, author, writer for, for Horror News Net, Scary Monsters Magazine, We Belong Dead Magazine, and many others. And uh, with me, uh, as usual, is Anthony Durand, the founder uh, and pro- founder of Desperate Film Fest and producer of this show. Anthony, how are you doing? Good. Glad to be here. All right. Uh, Joe Flynn. Creativ award-winning horror show host, now in its 21st, 21 years, Joe? Yes, now I can go drink. <laughs> and many people need to drink after that show. That's right. <laughs> and James, oh, well, uh, Al Omega, uh, the uh, award-winning you know host of the Creature Feature Show. Welcome, Al. Uh, what's that? Hey there. there you go. Yeah, I'm doing what award I won. <laughs> showing up, that's it. I got no, I got an award for showing up. Oh, um, there you go. There you go. There you we'll go. We'll give you a nice we'll, gold star. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> and with us today, I'm just we're very pleased to have the uh, the incredibly talented writer and author Matthew Banks. Uh, I've had the pleasure of of working with uh, Matthew in the past. And we are both writers for We Belong Dead magazine, and um, we got to uh, co-write uh, to, uh, together on uh, uh, a chapter in uh, Century of Horror for We Belong Dead magazine. And uh, Matthew has got a uh, terrific book, which is uh, which is coming out, and he's uh, going to be uh, you know, telling us about it. Uh, this is, let me see if I get the, uh, where does imagination end and reality begin re-examining the horror classic Matthew all the way from the United Kingdom. Welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So I, I wanted to ask you, what was your, uh, impetus to take a handful of of uh, uh, films from the golden age, um, films such as I Married a Witch, films such as um, and uh, uh, Dracula's Daughter, uh, films like that. You would think that over the course of the years, this is these have been really well examined and uh, looked at from a variety of angles. What prompted you to go back and, and give us a revisit? When... Um we Belong Dead uh, became reborn, so to speak. I think it was with issue nine. Um, I did a re-examination, I think, for issue 12 on the Black Cat, the Karloff and Lugosi right. thing. And I pitched to the the uh, editor, Eric, that I would do the, the three big Karloff and Lugosi films, which was Black Cat, The Raven, and The Invisible Ray. And the Black Cat and The Raven were both published for We Belong Dead. 
And then um, the invisible ray sort of like went into hibernation. And I think in the end, I think there's about seven different versions of the invisible ray. Um, and that, a version of that was published in The Dark Side just before Christmas. Um, and Dracula's Daughter, incidentally, started off, was meant to start off as just a 3,000 word piece for Eric. And like two and a bit years later, it was like 17 and a half thousand words. And yeah, ended up being a, a book chapter rather than that. But it was in a, a varying form published by um, Scary Monsters of the Movies it, over three separate issues. Mm-hmm. And it's just like taking an old film and giving it a new eye for the 21st century. But also what I try and do is like there are archival reviews that people are never going to see, archival news reports that are never going to see the light of day. And I try and put as much historical context in. So when you read um, one of my pieces, you get a feeling of, what it was like in the grand heyday of horror. When it came to writing the piece on I Married a Witch, which you brought up, Kevin, Mm -hmm. um, it was just one of those really eureka moments because everyone says Silence of the Lambs is a horror film, whereas I would consider it a psychological thriller with a cat and mouse element thrown in. And yet I Married a Witch is classified as a romantic comedy if you take the subject matter and how how it visually opens up and everything it is at its heart a horror film you've got two people that have been burnt at the stake for being witches you know and when you know and when they come back you know it's all revenge and burning buildings and is everybody out of the building or are they not out of the building? You know, so, but what I did when I came to do the book is I took everything that I had and all my notes and stuff like that. And I did what, because <laughs> I really snap, but I did director's cuts. So if you've got a three and a half thousand word article, um, like Tower of London was, I think, 2000 word article for Eric, it's ended up being like 6,000 words now. So everything has been extended till I've been really happy with it. I, I do have a question. Go for about it. About the Tower of London. What brought you to, to talk about that film in the book? Um, it was, um, Eric was doing, um, one one of his books and he put out a list of films that he wanted covered so i said i would do um tower of london and then i watched it and i think i did about the initial run was about two and a half thousand words maybe three but there was just so much that i Mm. wanted to put in that i couldn't put in that it it had to have a a director's cut it just has to 
Um, and you're, I like think- the, you're like the James Cameron of authors, uh, you know, here. <laughs> I've got to have a director's cut and then a special director's cut and then yet another ultimate director's cut. Uh. You see, the thing is, if I do an article, I try and get as obviously as much historical background as I can. But also, like um, when I did I Married a Witch, there was the, uh, the there was a two book sequence of the films of Rene Claire. So, much to my wife's dismay, uh, if I'm researching a project, I have to buy everything about it so I get everything factually correct. So, um, if someone comes along later later on and wants to have a, a look at the film, they can take my sources. Um, and, and follow the lead through those sources to see that everything is correct. I have to say that having looked at the work and you talked about how you wanted to write about uh, what was going on at the time, giving those cultural references, I really appreciate that because, you know, this is almost 100 years ago. Things were different back then, and a lot of new people that will read this book won't understand the differences that have come up. As we, no. we joked a little bit about before the, the show started here about the difference between crisps and chips and so forth, um, and cookies, and biscuits, uh, that things were different. And I really like it when authors do that. It really helps enrich me when I read this piece. So thank you. I think I can't remember if I kept it in Dracula's daughter. I probably did, but off the top of my head, there is this big thing about how Dracula's daughter is a lesbian and the longest kiss and all that, right? But in exactly the same scene in Dracula, after uh, Renfield has the wine uh, and then he flakes out in his bedroom and the Dracula's brides go in for the kill and he sweeps them away and then he zooms in. And the thing is a close-up of Lugosi's face that's fade to black of him going, I'm going to rephrase this one, going down on Renfield's neck into a fade out. Now I know there's only five years difference between that and Dracula's daughter, but the implication is exactly the same as um, when uh, Dracula's daughter goes towards Lily and it goes up to the mask, the implication is exactly the same, except you don't get a close-up of her face. So you only presume that she... Because if you look at Sandor, her her um, her servant, if you like, he looks more like a vampire than she does. All the way through the film, you know... She looks so, more like a trapped soul. More like, <laughs> yeah, kind of like a, uh, like she's almost a victim in her, uh, uh, who, who, who can't help herself in the, uh, in, uh, in the film. I really try to, you know, try to think that, uh, she is desperately trying to break this, uh, uh, this curse that's been put, uh, that's been put upon her. But see, this is the thing yeah. has it been put or has it been put in her head? for all the years that she's had the servant and the thing is if you look at the film as a whole she basically goes after men lily is the only girl 
that she and not even then she doesn't even go out to to get her sander brings her in because she's about to throw herself off the bridge right but you see the opening shot with the guy in the doorway it's aleska that goes in and does that she goes after garth all the way through the film and you know margaret churchill is just a woman that's in the way of what she wants right right so what i find fascinating is that um in in reading some of your uh, of your book is just exactly what the script writers at universal were able to get past the censors the the tone the themes the um um, the subject suggest uh, the suggestive subtext after the Hayes code had uh, uh, had uh, had come into play you still saw themes of homosexuality of homoeroticism mm. uh, themes of some sadism themes of uh, you know of you know, dark shadows so uh you know so to speak um is that there's just the when in your mind is that just the uh the gift of the scriptwriter? uh no the studios basically kept sticking their fingers up at, yeah. at the haze well, code okay. um but like over here it back in the time it was a lot different to you guys because in each individual state the films would go before their own um, censor. So each state would um, take out stuff, leave stuff in. Whereas over here, I mean, we didn't have the H certificate until Bella Lugosi's um, Dark Eyes of London, which I think, I can't remember the year of date for that one. I'm sorry. 40, 1940. (laughs) 39 39 something like that um but that's when we had like the h certificate and like and like the the so-called ban from the horror films it it was basically what they did was they just banned under 12s going into the cinema so so that all everyone like 16 had to be accompanied by an adult anyone below that just couldn't get in to see the film Wow, you know that's t- totally d- different from here, because it's like here, as you know, we have the system of like rated G, PG, PG thirteen, and then there's the R, and it's like I remember as a little kid, I went and I snuck in to Halloween the movie and i was under the age but yeah but it's like it was really it's odd hearing about the rating systems from here to england you know oh it's I mean, when you're a writer it's especially fun to read about um uh the uh the british board of film censorship and uh, john trevelyan uh I, I did for, for, for a lot of the writing I've done for uh, regarding hammer topics. 
um, I got to know a lot about censorship and uh, uh, sometimes draconian uh, uh Moors put on by the BBFC and uh, and things like that. Hammer would have a, quite a time with Trevelyan and company uh, in getting things uh, uh, getting things passed. But um, so let you know. Let's get into you. You um, you definitely have a passion. I'm curious about this. You have a passion for Lugosi. Yes, I do. And <laughs> I wonder if you could, yeah. Gee, you think, uh, but I'm wondering if you could, uh, you know, touch on what is it about Bella that resonates even with fans today? Um, well, if I go from my humble beginnings with him, if you like, and it is mentioned in the forward is, uh, decades ago, my dad used, when we, uh, went lived in Newquay, which is another seaside town in, in England. Um, he ran a hotel, and on a Sunday, he used to show films to the hotel guests. So I'm going back to about 76, 75, 76, and he showed a compilation, and I remember it quite distinctly, it was a compilation film of Bella Lugosi. It wasn't a full film. Um... Um, Frank Delistrito has asked me if I remembered any dialogue in it. Um, I just remember in it being bits of films put together. That's what I remember. And that got me hooked. And then I went to my friend's house one day and they had a Dracula poster um, on their wall that they didn't want and they gave it to me and it was uh, a Bella Lugosi one. And that, that was just it. And there are photos of me when I was about 11. God, such a long time ago. Um, with I have photo albums with all pictures of Bella Lugosi in it. So it's been quite a thing. And I think why he still resonates today is because he was just as good as Karloff. And had he been given the right roles after Dracula, um, then I think that they would have been literally an equal pairing. And I'll come to this with um, 1934, they did The Black Cat. Um, and it was a humongous blockbuster at the time. And then in 35, they uh, Karloff followed that up with The Bride of Frankenstein. Now, anybody with the, any form of logic would have said, right, Carla from Lugosi, one of the biggest films of 1934, we'll stick them together. Not only will we have the Frankenstein's monster and Dracula in one big film, right? And yet uh, Carl Lemmy Jr. Uh, uh, bowed down to uh, James Well and, and refused to cast him in the film. Yeah, that that to me was like really sad because I agree with you. Lugosi, if he had the better roles, it, he would have been just equally as great as Karloff. Yeah, it seemed like uh, like Whale because Whale had um, the additional connection 
with Lugosi on uh, on Frankenstein that um, there was there was disagreement, uh, you know, there. He did not necessarily he did not think that Lugosi would be ideal for the, uh, for, uh, you know, for the film. Um, one wonders if uh, if Bella had more of a chance to work with Robert Flory. Um, got Bella, I think, more so than Whale would and Whale did. I think. See, Flory's original scripts, as presented by Philip Riley in his book, is the monsters just grunting and there's no dialogue, and he would have just been a, a brute. Nothing more and nothing less. Whereas um, with the Garrett Ford and James Whale script for um, Bride of Frankenstein, the the monster was something different again from Frankenstein. Now, I did spe- I did cause a bit of a hoo ha um, when I suggest <laughs> well I suggested because Alex Gordon did a piece. He was interviewed, and in the interview, he he basically said that Bella Lugosi was a homophobe. homophobe. So I speculated maybe that was the reason um, he couldn't work with James Well, because James Well was Mm. so out there, especially for the time, um, that maybe it was just a a clash. But I I had several um, Lugosi academics, because I had... I had a criticism of, of my thought process. So I thought, am I being stupid? So I went to a, a, a message thing with all the, you know, um, sure. you know, like Gary Rhodes, Frank Delostrito, and so on and so forth. And uh, Bob Kramer. And I asked them about that. And um, apparently when Lugosi worked in England in the 50s, he worked with someone that was completely out there as well and had no problems working with him. So they did say that um, Alex Gordon did make stuff up. So then I thought maybe it really was just a clash of personalities. But you've got all these stories about why Lugosi didn't do the Frankenstein monster and how he found Karloff and and so on and so forth. And I think reading between all the lines of all the varying stories, my conclusion, I think, is quite logical in that maybe, let's take this theoretical term, that that Lugosi and Whale were in the canteen and Lugosi was trying to get out of playing the monster because he didn't want to do it. Whale didn't really want him. And what if um, Lugosi said, well, what about him over there? then there would be some truth in it because Lugosi kept up all the way up until he died that he got Carl off the roll. All, I mean, that is one huge lie to carry for 26 years and to, and to keep reiterating it, you know, because if you tell lies, you know, you are going to get caught out somewhere along the way. And maybe Karloff didn't know that Lugosi had said that, so therefore his version of the, of the tale is true because he didn't know that Lugosi said that. You know, that's so that's my conclusion there. And I think that that put 
whale off working with um, Lugosi again. As to why um, Carl Lemel Jr. seemed to, in my in my opinion, treat Lugosi like like garbage, um, I really am not too sure. I mean, he saved Universal with Dracula in 1930. Um, Karloff came in and did Frankenstein and continued to save the studio. Um, Lugosi was dumped with uh, Murders in the Rue Morgue, 1932. Uh, one minute, um, they slashed the budget, um, so Flory walked out. So then they had to give him his budget back, so he walked back in to do the film. And then with the profits from Frankenstein, they gave um, Rue Morgue a bit more um, margin in the budget. But then when it came to editing it, they absolutely massacred it. Um, and if you take um, Lugosi's role in Rue Morgue, that would have been your Dr. Frankenstein. So when you watch that film, view it, and that's how Lugosi would have played um, Dr. Frankenstein, because that's the role he wanted to change to rather than the monster. Can't get all passionate. <laughs> you know, you, we were talking about why, why didn't Lugosi... Uh, succeed more and I believe it was Carradine who actually once uh, made the comment about Lugosi really didn't want to uh, learn his English very well and I have no idea how accurate that is he also said he always had to have a bucket of wine with him while he was working and in in the old days people drank a lot more or at least they, they didn't have the uh, the onus on drinking hmm. so whether or not he actually had a bucket of wine with him is a uh, is an opinion um, but go ahead I, I've not heard that one before I have to say but um, Lugosi um, uh, appeared to have kept himself he didn't socialise for starters so when he wasn't in front of the camera or what have you he, he kept himself to the hung Hungarian parts of of his society in, in America he didn't like go to Hollywood parties per se. He, he didn't mingle. Um, and to quote him himself, he said he was a lone wolf. Um, Do you think that was I a mistake on his part? Um, I think it was bad management. I think whoever his management were, were utterly stupid. <laughs> I, I do, for, for his management to say, oh, don't worry about doing Frankenstein, you know, which is the biggest books other than Dracula to do and not fight for him to do it. Um, I think there was, there was um, a lot of contempt um, within the Hollywood system for Lugosi for whatever reason. Um, but like when he came over to Britain, I mean, and he did um, The Mystery of the Mary Celeste in 35 and The Dark Eyes of London in I will go for 1940. If it's wrong, blame Kevin. Um, um, he, he, was, he was welcomed here with open arms. Um, the only problem now is with, with something like Mystery of the Mary Celeste, uh, the only version you will find is 61 minutes, uh, and that's like 20 minutes of missing footage. So you can't really give that film a proper... Um, 
examination, so to speak. Whereas um, Dark Eyes of London doesn't seem to have been tampered with at all. Um, Cause that recently came out on Blu-ray. It's up there. Um, so, and we seem to have really embraced him. Whereas when he was called back to America, um, he was really called back to play second fiddle to whoever. I mean, if you take the casting for Dracula's daughter, I mean, this is how vindictive uh, Garrett Ford and James Whale were because James Whale was told to direct Dracula's daughter by Carl Lemon Jr. and he didn't want to do it. So he, they wrote a script that was basically unfilmable. You starting off with um, a sequence in a dining room, which basically turns into an orgy, you know, which would never get past the he- in any way, shape, Hayes or form. Hayes' office, yeah. And, and then Dracula goes up uh, up to his boudoir where there's this young girl there, uh, and does what he he does, and then it, you know, so the whole prologue sequence would have been Lugosi. In something that was so unfilmable and would have been so shocking. I mean, it would have made, from what I've read, it would have made freaks look tame. Wow. Something like that. Yeah. You know. I thought too that that Bella Lugosi was supposed also, it was going to do a little small role in Dracula's Daughter. See, and also, um, it's a fallacy. Um, that he was paid off. That's the, another big thing with Dracula's daughter. He, he was paid to use his likeness in the film. So for he, a wax he, model for the wax for a wax mod for the wax model. So, so right. I think he was paid um, off the top of my head uh, four thousand dollars to have his likeness used, which was more than what he got for Dracula. Um. So it's it's also you know Universal Studios were really good um, at putting out bad Lugosi press and stoking up the um, negativity around him. I mean, they tried to do that with Karloff after Frankenstein, but because yeah, Karloff asked for a pay rise, you, which Universal promised him. Universal then turned around and said, you're not having one. So then Karloff came over here and did the go, and then Universal were a bit stuffed. And then I think he followed up with a couple of other films, and then Universal thought, right, we're going to have to give him because he's making all this money for other studios. We're going to have to have him back so we, c- we can make money. So, I mean, like, if you take... Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, which has had an absolutely horrendous history, and everyone's saying that Lugosi's role was was crap. Excuse my language. He was sixty three years old. He he was addicted to morphine. Um, and they cut out all his dialogue, but it, they didn't cut it out because he spoke as Igor. Uh, although that's the rumor that it, 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 people were laughing because of, of 
his accent coming out of the Frankenstein's monster, which if you go back to Ghost of, Fra- Ghost of Frankenstein, Eagle's brain goes into the Frankenstein monster. So therefore he's going to have sure. Eagle's voice. And like, mannerisms it, it, and so forth. Yeah. You know, um, no. but the dialogue, it, <laughs> the dialogue is horrendous. I am the destroyer of worlds. I will kill you all. You know. Sounds like a popular Saturday night. You know, the, the dialogue that I get in that I get that gets me going is from Ghost of Frankenstein when Igor's brain is finally put in, and uh, uh, and he goes uh, and he utters things like "Boomer, I can't see, I can't see. What good is a brain without eyes to see?" <laughs> oh, I'm saying it, definitely the uh, the the league for the uh, you know for the the league you know blind groups really appreciate that kind of thinking <laughs> <laughs> but again yeah. that, that that studio interference but again I, I'll point out the absolute influence of Lugosi we are coming ne- nearly a hundred years of Dracula the, the first film nearly a hundred years and even to this day, if you see little kids impersonate Dracula, it's Lugosi. It's not Christopher Lee. It's not Gary Oldman. It's not anybody else that has taken the role. It's Bella Lugosi. I don't see too many other Widow Twanky uh, outfits out, you know, out there. So I'm going to agree with you regarding Gary Oldman. Um, when it comes <laughs> to Frankenstein monster and the arms out front and what have you. Yeah. That's 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 Lugosi's portrayal. It's not Karloff's portrayal in any way, shape, or form. So again, when they do the stiff walk and the stiff arms, they they're just replicating Lugosi rather than Karloff. You know, I never really noticed that before. But you're, but you're right. I think uh, it's been a while since I've seen that movie. Uh, but I had never noticed that. And you're right. That is the archetype for Frankenstein. Is the stiff walk with the arms out? Ask any kid to be Frankenstein. That's what he's going to do. I mean, if you take Karloff's Frankenstein, which is simply a masterpiece of acting, and I don't think had Lugosi taken that particular role, he could have done the same. Because when you get the Frankenstein wants to walking back and then slowly turns around and you get the reveal, the the look of otherness that you get from Karloff's expression, um, you, I don't think Lugosi could have done that. But I as agree. Dr. Frankenstein, I think he would have been phenomenal. Not so um, on the scotch as um, Cl- uh, Colin Clive was. With his alive! I think you would have got a more... You got. I think you'd have got a more sinister version of that, a more, oh, a more decadent. All you, as you mentioned, all you have to do is take a look at either Doctor Miracle or take a look at Doctor Vaughan uh, and his relationship with Edward Bateman yeah. in uh, in the Raven. Uh, you would see what. Um, you know what uh the doctor's relationship to the creature would be 
uh, for uh, for Frankenstein. He's very much. I would say he is very much. He would be very much more diabolical. I I thought that that as much as I appreciated Colin Clive, um, you know, bringing some of the energy that he brings to the uh, uh, you know to the role, I uh, I simply didn't quite buy it that he was this driven, uh, you know, driven man almost a, a character you know dr frankenstein's a character who's almost descending into madness um and i, I didn't see that with uh with with colin uh so yeah. much i would see that with uh, uh with bella um but uh anthony you got any uh, you got anything to uh you know to say to ask uh you guys have been running the thing i had like three questions you guys answered uh, close them all <laughs> so no I have, here here's that here anthony here i got a question no self-edit anthony <laughs> something matthew and i know about self-edit you, you just got to self-edit and you'll come up with something a new question in minutes in your head uh yes. i did have a question um and it's a change of gears i didn't want to change gears because you guys are having so much fun here uh um, no, go ahead but I consider myself honestly an outsider this era of horror as much as I like horror and Dracula. Um, it's something that as much as I've tried to get involved in, you know, jump into, it just seems to keep, you know, avoiding me. I, I, I can't do it for some reason, um, but I want to. So my question is um, for someone who is interested in this era of horror, uh, who you know can see that there's a well-established base of classic monsters, right? Um, what can I do as a gateway drug to get into this where it appeals to me, kind of like you know the 80, 1980, and newer horror? Um, where can I jump in, Matthew? Is so it can kind of slide into my my titles that I want to watch. Um, I, the question is. What can interest someone who's not interested oh. in this era for? What can you suggest for that kind of fan who is interested but doesn't know where to start? Matthew, um, I think I think you can you can clap you can cup your hands and kind of think <laughs> of how you know how much I can toy with this boy. I can toy with this. Uh, he, 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 his brain is yours to mold right now. Go for it. And he has children. You. And he has children. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sacrifice the children. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Please um, do. I got three of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, what? I, I mean, horror got me at a very young age. Like when I was a lot younger than when my father showed films, um, you used to get um, purple bubblegum cards with classic monsters on them, like the werewolf, Frankenstein. Yes. And they'd have crazy captions underneath them. And I had hundreds of them. I haven't anymore, unfortunately, but I had hundreds of them. So I would take one, one horror film of your choice from that particular era, right? 
and I would watch it. I, I know what it's like. You're not really wanting to watch that and you're twiddling your thumbs or whatever. Um, but watch it from a different perspective. Would you suggest watching it with a child? Perhaps? To get um, the child's it, perspective it, on it? It, uh, it would depend on how old the child was and what film it was. Uh, yeah, something like, I would say something like The Wolfman might be uh, something that you would appreciate, Anthony, because I know you appreciate uh, practical effects. You appreciate latex make, uh, make latex applications and so forth. And uh, the work of Jack Pierce is phenomenal. Uh, is, is, is phenomenal. And, you know, which... It, it to me the wolfman is a livelier uh you know film whereas frankenstein dracula can be a bit static um but but the uh you would you would appreciate something like uh you know something like that i agree the wolfman now you enjoy me some wolfman yeah yeah, yeah. or i'm gonna throw one really right off the off the wall Go for 1932 Freaks, uh, MGM. Um, yes. Right. And take into account that all the actors are living freaks. And and the reason it got banned over here, from what I have ascertained, is that people couldn't cope with the fact that they were seeing real freaks, th that these were real people. And they couldn't cope with it. So it was banned over in the UK for 50 years. And I think each individual state over your, your way, right. either edited or banned or whatever. And it, and it damaged Todd Browning's, uh, you know, career significantly. Um, it wasn't until 1935 that he was able to come back with MGM and Mark of the Vampire. Oh yes, uh, but uh, that was a troubled production. But that's a different story for you know another for another time. time. Another time. That was in We Belong Dead issue thirty. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you bring up freaks because I can remember as a young person back in the sixties, stopping at a circus or carnival, whatever the heck it was, state fair maybe even, they had a freak show, and they had a, really? a, with a, a number of deformities. And they, you know, uh, they, they had, I'm pretty sure they had a lobster boy and they had uh, a clown with no hands, flippers for hands. They did rope tricks, uh, amazingly, which was amazing. He'd throw a rope and then there'd be a knot in it. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it wasn't a trick per se. He just had a really good way of throwing the rope. And I tried doing that for a long time and never managed it. Um, and they also had a number of uh, animal exhibits with it. Okay. That, uh, didn't. I remember actually. I remember the, uh, the the person with flippers was also a dwarf, and they said he was in the the Wizard of Oz, which I'm fairly sure they weren't. But that was the thing with the circuses is that you you were fast and loose with facts. Yeah. But I remember going into the into the tent. Uh, this was these were the people that were outside performing per se, and you go in the tent, and it was very depressing. No yeah. one moved or talked. And they just laid there uh, or sat there. And um, it was very um, disturbing. Uh, and I can see why they don't have them anymore. And 
I just did the show Free She Freaks, which is a, a later version of the same movie. Uh, okay. And I, and I can really see why this would really disturb people. It just it would people today. Uh, I don't think could really handle freaks in and of itself. No. 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 The, uh, the too many people are. Uh, well, I should say that uh, people today are a little more. I hope a little more caring. But yeah, it was it was a, a big time. Uh, uh, the the big circus guy, Byron Bailey, would would go up and and uh, buy children off the street uh, from their parents if they had a sufficient deformity, because there was so little way to to fix any of this stuff back then. No one knew anything about it. So yeah, very very disturbing on a on a deeply visceral level, and I'm sure that was so even more so back then. Uh, uh, I'll throw in. I'll, I'll throw like you. I'll throw in a little bit of historical information. You know, there are, and I'm sure you know actually know the names. Uh, in England, I know there are different castles that have um, a secret about them, and that uh, whenever the 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 lord, the new lord comes in, he's shown the secret. One particular, I remember mentioning how if, if, when he was to be shown, he said he was going to bring it out, and and this was going to out it to the world. And he was married, and when he, he was shown, he came back to his wife and said, never ask me about that again. Uh, apparently, it was very disturbing. But, um, you know, you didn't have a place to keep someone that had some severe mental or, or physical no. issue, per se. I mean, we, we, we had um, asylums. I know that in the States, you had asylums as well. But, yeah, but they were terrible. <laughs> I mean, but, the, in both places, they were pretty bad, I think. Hmm. I actually have uh, in my uh, at my grandparents. Uh, one of my grandparents met their husband at a TB asylum, but of course, uh, TB is also uh, linked to the, how yeah. we portray vampires. So, interesting stuff about how the the world shaped our views of the time, even though the the item is, we'll say, is completely made up. Yeah. So, uh, Matthew, yes. hello, uh, hello over here. No, um, yes, him. Uh, <laughs> I I just have a a question. Uh, how did you get into writing? Um, yeah, what I've was always, your first your very first writing experience? Oh, school. <laughs> I, I I've I've been. It, it, uh, was that was that writing in crayon and uh, uh, and so forth? No, my no, teacher, no, it, it was my teacher is a stinky person with, with a quill. <laughs> in blood with a quill. Ah, uh, yes, the good stuff. Oh, there you go. Um, and your schoolmate was Edgar Poe. I mean, uh, <laughs> I've I've all, I've always written um, because it's what I suppose I'm good at, but. I went to university and it sort of like opened my eyes up in um, a more critical, analytic way, I suppose. So when I, when I watch a film now, I, I, I watch it, I do watch it for enjoyment, but there's this little voice in the back of my head said, well, this is what this means and this is what this means and this is what this means. So when I came to start doing my um re-examinations of classic horror films it literally was 
I want to see historical background in there so I know what I'm talking about and then people can take it from there. Um, and I want to see it through a, a new eyes. So like when I came to do, say, a, um, The Invisible Ray, I mean, how they got away with that is beyond me to start off with because you've got a woman about to have and having an affair with another man, which would be no-no. You've got Karloff being a mummy's boy and all that that in, in, entails and implies. Then you've got the fact that his wife says, oh, he's, he's never touched her. That adds another implication. So um, when I did my chat, uh, did my, my piece on it, I, I basically said, Is, are they implying that he's gay and that his touch will kill you? And um, wasn't everybody's cup of tea, but that but when I came to watch, I, I watched the film um, twice in, in a row. I watched it and then took notes and I went back and I rewatched it to see whether I was being stupid or not. And I thought, this is really cleverly written. Everything is implied. I mean, and then you've got Karloff leaving his wife, going off with, with the natives who, who, who are barely clothed. You know, if I had been in the Hayes office, I'd have been sweating bricks as to what I should be saying should be cut. Because everything is so implied, but they're right in front of your face. I mean, the, uh, film studios were really, really clever at doing stuff like that. I mean, if you take um, uh, MGM's The Mask of Fu Manchu, oh my God. I mean, you've got um, um, incest, sexual deviancy, sadism, the good megalomania, stuff. all the good stuff. Oh. Yeah, look at, this. Away with look at the most dangerous game. Look at most dangerous game. <laughs> you have, uh, you have what is it? A spear in the back. Uh, you've got, you know, murders. I say, you know, look at King Kong. Yeah. You have nudity. Nineteen thirty-three. You know, it would be un uh, unheard of. You have. A giant ape creature tearing off a, a boss, not crushing her, not, you know, not crushing Anne or anything or just eating her, but sexually titillated. Yeah. And turning off the and tearing off the blouse. And you're like, how does this get past the censors and uh, and things like that? Of course, that's pre, you know, that's pre code. But there's a, there's several films that are just wild. Yeah. Um, I thought. To me, one of the more intense films of the period is Murders in the Zoo. Yeah. Um, with uh, Lionel Atwell. That is, uh, and Randolph Scott. Uh, that is, you watch some of that. Anthony, I, I challenge you, you watch some of that even today. You'll be thinking, ooh, this is kind of. Yeah. There's a man's lips are, my, shown, my are sewn shut. <laughs> you see a man's lips sewn shut. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, uh, you're you're like, ew, and this is 1932. So, Anthony, okay. have I answered your question? 
You did, and, and so much more. Thank you very much. Um, you're obviously a historian on this subject, so the only thing I can do is sit in front of the class and, and listen and, and just... So Matthew, I, I got to say, we gave Anthony, I think, his first experience last year with Peter Cushing, uh, Van Helsing. We gave him his first experience with Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. That was awesome. That one. <laughs> no, you should have done Brides of Dracula. I can yes. put that on the list. No, 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 no. We had to do. We had to have him see. You know, see, Chang, you must destroy her and all this stuff. <laughs> Kung Fu whore. That's right. And John Forbes Robertson as a uh, uh, as a uh, a porcelain doll Dracula. Uh, <laughs> Hey. Well, Matthew, before we close, um, where can everyone find you? Yes. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as the Dr. 67. I think I'm on Instagram as the Dr. 72 because I've decided to de age myself. Um, you have a copy um, of your book. Can you show it? I can. This oh, is hold on, my let me book. Get a good view Here we go. Uh, that is this, beautiful. Um, yes. It's published by Bear Manor Media. It's both hardback and softback um this is the hardback i'll see um it um is a labor of love um yeah and yeah (laughs) i mean i enjoyed the book i read it yeah awesome i read a big chunk of it Yeah. yeah It, it is fascinating. It is incredibly detailed. I know Matthew to be extremely in, uh, into research, um, as I am, and it uh, uh, audiences out there that are that are interested in this uh, in this information. Where else are you going to get detailed takes about uh, from the Raven, the Black Cat? Uh, you know. Uh, Frankenstein, Dracula, Dracula's daughter, on up to Renee Claire's magnificent I Married a Witch. Um, as you said, that's kind of, I to me, that's that's more like, I'd say, adult supernatural comedy. <laughs> because you, it, it is kind of, uh, it has some very brittly funny, um, you know, uh, sequences in it. Yeah, it's something of the basis of for the uh, for the Bewitched uh, series, but very, very, very loose. But uh, Matthew, I I, I want to say you just much success with this book. Yeah, it uh, it is an entertaining read, and uh, where can folks get it? Uh, Amazon. It's, it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon.com. Um, it's everywhere. It's in Barnes and Noble. Um, you can get it direct from Bear Manor Media. Um, I did do a book search to see where it was, and it literally is everywhere. Literally, I was like, "Oh my god!" I'm so now, are excited. There, is there a limited edition, uh, you know, version with maybe your the personal direction. signature and a little bit of your blood on it? Uh, you know, no. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't have blood have... with the ink when they printed it? <laughs> the ink, yes. Like kiss. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh 
no, that I, I do hope to. I hope to one day finally meet up with you uh, in the uh, in the UK. We had we had talked about meeting when I went uh, to the Manchester uh, festival, but that uh, that that couldn't happen ultimately. But I uh, I look forward to the chance of meeting you face to face. Indeed, me too. Yeah, that will be yeah. yeah that would be fun. And uh, us getting together with our editor and Eric, and uh, well, with our now our former editor, uh, you know, Eric and uh, Daryl Buxton. We we were a group that was plotting to rule the world, one corner <laughs> at a time. Uh, you know, through nothing more powerful than golden age horror to to rule the world yeah. with. But. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, Matthew, for uh, for joining us. You've been fantastic and much thank success. Thank you very much, Matthew, book. for all of your insight. Thank you. Right. And thank you for having me on your show. You're so welcome, Matthew. You're absolutely Thanks. welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to spare this time to uh, just go around the uh, table and see what everyone's working with. Uh, Joe, what you been uh, up to lately? Oh, what have I been up to? Um, uh, Instagram. Uh, no, I'm... Uh, I'm working on uh, doing some reviews of the Thor Love and Thunder. Yeah, you never know. And also Black Phone. Oh, that's a brilliant Oh, I see, I see that. Is it? Yeah. Ooh, I'm Ethan Hawks. <laughs> Not. Kevin, I know you've been busy. What do you got cooking? I, I have next week is all i'm thinking about next sunday i have the uh i'm just so looking forward to it the panel day from when i say the panel day from hell uh where i have just been basically you know said hey kevin i'm the creatures con and uh i had uh lord blood frank who runs creatures con asked me kevin you like doing panels you want to do the whole day <laughs> Jeez. Uh, because he'll have other things going on in another panel room. And, you know, as you, people who know who uh, run, con- you know, somebody who runs a convention and so forth, they're basically in a million places at once. So right. I'm doing my part just to help out. I will be doing a panel or doing panels with Frank Dietz, the illustrator, Bob Elmore, the uh, uh, stuntman and actor. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 and other films. Uh, Fred Wee will be there. Yeah. And I'll be doing a panel with him and Raina Gillette, a.k.a. Miss Misery. Oh, that's going to be awesome. That's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. And then we have Beverly Washburn, uh, who's, uh, I'll be doing that after a showing of the movie Spider Baby. Uh, And she'll be talking about Lon on junior about Sid Haig, the whole bit. So it's going to be a uh, quite busy, but really fun day. Yeah. Kevin, it sounds like me doing the death parade film fest. Yeah. So, yeah. but different, yeah. different convention. I think I need to get notes from you yeah. and how to do it. Right. <laughs> but and just oh. reading right. That is creatures con, uh, Saturday, August 6th and the 7th. Okay, Saturday, uh, August 6th is the showing of The Mummy at the Orinda Theater. And they're going to have Sarah Karloff in session and with David Skull. And she'll be there Sunday, but David Skull was going to be the one that's uh, uh, 
uh, interviewing her on that and uh, so forth. But we're actually, I'm actually considering seeing about if we can make uh, August 6th could be kind of fun to see the mummy on the big screen. But um, I know we've got some stuff that, that we're planning to do in the 6th. So uh, the 7th is what's in right at the moment. Anyway. And now, freshly back from San Diego Comic-Con. Yes. Good to have you back. Challenge that it is. Is the scent of Kevin Fega all over your 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 uh, your body? Uh, no, actually, I I did a lot of other things. I, I did a lot of networking. Uh-huh. And uh, because of that, I'm now an associate producer on a new movie called Take Your Souls, which is a lovely horror film about what oh, else nice. you can off to a cabin. Uh, I'm also being filmed for Hellvira's Haunted Asylum of Horror. So I'll be yeah, in I saw that, that t-shirt on you. Yeah. When does that come out? Yeah. Uh, that's in pre-production still. And then I will be also in Pay to Die, which I will be mm-hmm. filming next month. I think it is. I saw that guy also. Also desperate Excellent. for anything San Diego Comic-Con. I found this guy just say, hey, I'm doing a film. And by the way, I'm going to give you a tour of the convention. no surprise you linked up with him (laughs) nice hey I have friends what can I say (laughs) Uh, so yeah that's what I did I I talked to a lot of people filmed a few people and uh, took pictures so now I have uh, some more work to do like I said I have a lot of filming to be doing myself coming up so uh, I also have some voice work that I've been asked to do so uh, we'll see how that all turns out uh oh, you gonna get into the audio drama, huh? You know, it it, uh, it, it was one of those things. I, I didn't ask, I didn't know the people. They just sent me an email saying, "Hey, we, we've seen your stuff. We need you in our our, our thingy." So we'll see how that goes. Careful, it might be a porno. You know, this guy that writes a song and uh, he, for a movie, and then he finds out it's a porno. And it's not just a porno, it's a horrible porno. He's got a dog in it and everything. But he wants to see his song being played on the big screen, so he goes to watch it. He sits in the way back, and there uh, there's another elderly couple back there and just watching it, and he's like, they're like, well, uh, uh, do, do you know somebody in the movie? He said, well, yeah, I, I wrote the song for it. What about you? He said, yeah, we know somebody in the movie. Oh, it's your son? He says, no, it's our dog. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh! It just keeps getting better. Yeah, yeah. So Matthew, that, this is the point life. where this this is the point where this show usually gets to. I'm surprised it took this long to uh, <laughs> to get to this point. But yes. yeah, we we boy Al, you made sure we got there. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> I just wanted to hear what he had to say, so that's why I, I kept. Where's <laughs> our drum kit? Well, you want okay. to take a side out? All right. Well, this is our show, and thank you for watching. And remember, watch horror films to keep America strong. I'll That's stab time. you. Have a good day, everyone. Till next time. Uh, night. Bye.